Hey, if you've got your Bibles, take them out and turn to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. We're in this series called What's in a Story? <clears throat> Looking at truths that Jesus taught in the form of a story that have the ability to, to transform our lives, really to revolutionize the way that we think. And Jesus did it with a story. If you've got your Bibles out, and uh, feel free to take one out of the pew or whatever, if you look in the first few verses of Luke chapter 12, you'll find that uh, there's this setting. Jesus is in the middle of thousands, literally thousands of people, Luke says, and he's teaching his disciples. There's all kinds of stuff going on, all kinds of people around, and Jesus begins to teach. And if you look at those first 12 verses or so of Luke chapter 12, you'll see that Jesus kind of buzzes through a, a whole bunch of important stuff. He, he says to his disciples, man, be careful that you're not like the Pharisees. Don't be hypocrites. Don't let hypocrisy get into your life because if it, once it gets there, it, it permeates everything. It acts like, like yeast in dough. It just spreads out. Don't let that happen. Be consistent. Um, Jesus says to his disciples, don't miss this fact. Nothing is hidden from God. Whatever you're doing on the side, whatever you think you're doing in secret, nothing is hidden from God. God can see it all. And one day, it's all going to be exposed. Jesus says to his disciples, don't be afraid of people who can hurt you or kill you. Because that's temporary. But be concerned about the one who has the ability to do that eternally. The one who holds your soul in his hands. That's, that's where your, your concern needs to be. Understand, just like this song just said, God cares for you incredibly. God cares even about the birds. You know, um, sparrows are, are, were, were cheap. They, you know, they're common bird. And Jesus says, God knows when a sparrow falls. He cares about you lots more than that. God knows the number of hairs on your head. Now, that's easy for me, right? Um, but for most of you, that's not the case at all. God knows the numbers of the hairs on your head. If he knows that, understand that he cares about you incredibly. Jesus says to, a to his disciples, hey, if you stand with me, if you acknowledge me in front of other men, Here's what I can tell you. I'm going to acknowledge you before the angels of God. Think about that. Think about Jesus surrounded by angels and saying, I know you. Yeah, I know you. Jesus says, you acknowledge me. I'll acknowledge you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me, I'm going to deny you as well. And the last thing he says as he's teaching through those first 12 verses, he says, don't deny the reality and the power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the one who's going to give you words when you're put on trial. The Holy Spirit is going to be the one who, who speaks through you on a daily basis. Don't, don't deny the reality and the power of the Holy Spirit. We could spend, we could probably spend a couple of weeks just on those first 12 verses. But what I want to do is just kind of set the stage having your mind this picture that Jesus is in the midst of these thousands of people and he's talking to his disciples, teaching them, 
and an interruption happens. And the way I want to tell that story today is for you to take a look on screen at a video that came from England. So this is kind of like the English version of the message. Jesus told this parable. This one bloke was loaded, a load of money and a load of land. I'm not talking about that virtual stuff either. It was a whole county of farmland. And this land produced a massive amount of crops. He had so much stuff, he didn't know what to do with it all. So he was like, I'm going to build a whole load of buildings just to store all my stuff in. I'm talking even bigger buildings than the one I already have. And then I'll have a place for all my crops, grains and other goods. So we had stuff everywhere. I think I've seen some houses in Exeter like this. The bloke thought, if I can store up all my stuff, I'll have a great life not needing anything from anyone ever again. But then God said, time's up bruv. And the bloke died, sad but true. So all the stuff that he had and all his buildings he built to store all his stuff in was for what? Nothing, not a sausage, zilch. And Jesus said, this is what happens when we fill our barns with temporary stuff that doesn't matter instead of the things of God which do matter. And the people said, boom, sorted. This is the Gospel of the Lord. There's, a, there's one thing that happens, though. There's, there's something that happens in between what I told you in the first 12 verses and when Jesus tells that parable. Um, if you've got your Bibles and you look there, what you'll find is that in the midst of Jesus teaching the disciples, so he's there talking to them about all this stuff, this guy comes up and interrupts him and says, Hey, Jesus, tell my brother to divide... The, uh, my father's estate with me fairly. He's cheating me. And it's like, wait, where'd that come from? It's, it's just this totally random thing that this guy comes in and he comes. Now, why does he come to Jesus? Because Jesus is a rabbi and in the Jewish culture, the rabbis could actually make a pronouncement. They could give a legal judgment that would be legally binding for the people who followed them. So he comes to Jesus and he says, uh, he says, there's this inheritance issue and you've got to fix it because my brother's cheating. He's cheating me. He's not treating me fairly. Now, if you can kind of put on your, your hats and look at those verses in Scripture and, um, and read what's in the white space. Okay, that's the, the white space is the place between the letters, you know, when, when you're reading between the lines and see what happens. There's, there's some things going on. The, the dad's death is fairly recent because his estate would be settled fairly rapidly in Jewish culture. So, so this guy is not grieving his dad. He's worried about the stuff that he's not getting in that. Inheritance law in the Jewish culture was pretty simple. 
it was, it was simply this. However many sons there were, there were that many shares of the estate plus one. The oldest son got two shares of the estate. Everybody else got one share. So if there were three sons, um, the, there, would be, there would be four shares to the estate. The oldest son would get half of the estate. Uh, the second son would get a quarter of the estate. The third son would get a quarter. Of the, that, was, that was the law. It was a pretty straightforward kind of a thing. Um, this guy, for whatever reason, thought his brother was cheating him. We don't know if he was or not, but he thought that. One of the things that you'll find in the white space is that this guy's brother is probably in the crowd. He's probably a part of the multitude. Because why would he come to Jesus except to have Jesus shame his brother into making things right? So there's this awkward tension that exists when this guy makes this statement and says, um, and says teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. And Jesus does something really interesting. He doesn't really answer him at all. He says to this guy, hey man, what's the deal? Why, why are you coming to me as your judge and arbitrator? Why are you doing that? And then he turns back to the disciples and begins to teach. Do you have the picture that it was one of those incredibly awkward moments. Wrong guy, wrong setting, wrong question, wrong stuff, all of that together. Jesus hears the question and says, why are you asking me? Turns around, goes back to teaching, and this guy is standing there. But then Jesus launches into this parable that we just saw on screen about this guy who was, who was this wealthy farmer who had all this stuff. He, he obviously had lots of supplies, lots of ability to farm, and, um, and he has this incredible crop, a crop so big that his barns can't hold it. His, uh, he doesn't have any way to, to use all, everything that has come in. So he has to decide what to do. And he makes the decision that he's going to tear down all of his buildings and build bigger ones so that he can harvest this crop, hold on to it, and then use that crop for the rest of his life. He can essentially take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry, set aside all that, and, and that's the story of this guy's life. Uh, have you ever... Have you ever been in one of those situations where you ask a question, you're kind of there, and then all of a sudden stuff plays out and you're really, really in the hot seat at that point because you realize these other conversations are going on that aren't really involved with you are really all about you. This story that Jesus told is told for the disciples. It's a parable told for them, but it's to expose what's going on in this guy's heart. You know, it's interesting the, the context of this guy's question. His father has died. He wants the estate to be divided fairly between he and his brother. Just as an aside, let me say this. Um, crazy things happen when it, when it comes time to, uh, to settle uh, an estate. Anybody been there, done that? People who love each other, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, when you're going through stuff that was never your stuff to begin with, people feel like, I've got to have that, and I've got to make sure that they don't have it. 
and it causes division and separation, and oftentimes it blows up families. Don't let that happen to you. Don't let that happen to you. Um, I remember going to the estate lawyer with my mom and dad. This is probably six or seven years ago. My, my mom was still alive. We're going through the stuff, and I'm, I, we're talking to the lawyer who was a great, godly woman, and she said, you, you need to do all this stuff. You need to spell stuff out because it just makes it so much easier when the time comes to go through it. She proceeded to tell a story about these twin girls that, that um, <clears throat> were part of case law in Ohio. They grew up, the, these twins never married. They grew up into their 70s. Their parents die, and their parents leave these two twin girls who never married over $7 million estate. So $7 million estate. These girls have been best friends. They live together in the same house. Uh, incredible thing. And what happened was they got into a fight over their mom and dad's stuff. No other siblings. It's, everything's going to these two women. But they got into a fight. And you know what they got in a fight over? Their mom's spoon collection. You know those racks of spoons that you get when you travel to other states? That both girls had to have that spoon collection. And they ended up suing each other, tying up the, the settlement of the estate um, because of their fight over these spoons. The case came before the judge, and, and the judge said, Okay, tell me what's going on. He said, you guys are fussing about this spoon collection. They said, yeah, I get it. I should, Mom gave it to me. Go through the whole thing. The judge looked at him and said, you have $7 million. You can buy as many spoons as you want and dismissed the case, and that was the end of it. Whenever we come to the time of life and we're going through stuff, we feel like we've got to have stuff that was never ours to begin with. It doesn't make any sense at all. Don't let that, don't let that cause division and separation in your relationships. Jesus says, as he finishes the parable, take care and be on your guard. All right, this is actually, uh, <clears throat> he, he, Jesus says, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. That actually precedes the parable. Listen to that. Be careful. Guard against a covetous spirit. A covetous spirit is a spirit that says, I see what you have and I want that. I see what you have and I want that. Jesus says, be careful. Don't let that have root in your life. Because your life does not consist in the abundance of what you possess. Say that with me. Your life does not consist of the, in the abundance of what you possess. Sorry about that. One more time. Your life does not consist in the abundance of what you possess. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that? Because, man, we try to build ourselves up based on the stuff that we have. We tend to find value, purpose in our life, in the stuff that we have. A man's life doesn't consist in the abundance of what he possesses. You know what Jesus was implying to that, to that guy who asked the question? He said, there's something far better than splitting the inheritance fairly. You know what that is? 
It's having a good relationship with your brother. That's so much better than getting the inheritance. There's something far worse than losing the inheritance, and that's losing your relationship with your brother. Relationships matter to God. Our relationships with other people matter to God. That's why John wrote, how can you say you love God when you hate your brother? You see your brother. How can you say that you love God who you haven't seen when you can't love the brother that you do see? That's why Jesus said, if you come to give your offering and, and somebody has something against you, leave your offering. Go make it right. Bridge that relationship. Fix it. And then come back and give your gift. People matter to God, not stuff. <clears throat> As Jesus goes through the parable and tells the story, it's remarkable to me what happens with that farmer as he looks at all that he has because what, what Jesus tells in the story is remarkably close to the American perspective for retirement, right? He's got all this stuff and he looks at it and he says, hey, I'm in great shape. I can do whatever I want for the rest of my life. I've got all of this stuff that's my stuff. I've contributed and contributed to my IRA, my Keo, my Roth. I've paid off my house. I don't need to work anymore. I can do whatever I want when I turn 68 or 65 or 50 or 55 or 75. The age doesn't matter. Look at the mindset. The guy says, I have all I need, all I could want. I have nowhere else to put my money or my stuff. I'm set for the rest of my life. There's a whole lot of me and my in that perspective and not much acknowledgement of anyone or anything else. Please hear me, hear me, hear me rightly. I'm not saying don't plan for the future. I'm not saying now that that's not what the Bible teaches. I'm not saying don't plan to have an inheritance for your kids and that kind of thing. What I am saying is don't fall into the trap of believing that you've created your own success, that you've earned a, a, the right to a life of comfort, that you will see the realization of all your plans and dreams. Because at the end of the parable, what happens? God says to this man, you fool. Today your life is called into account. And who's going to get all your stuff? All that stuff doesn't mean anything. You're not going to be able to enjoy one bit of it because today your life is, is called into account. Jesus finishes the parable by saying, so, so is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. There are three things from the parable that I think are critical for us to just get a hold of the truths that come out of this story that Jesus told. Your life doesn't consist in the, in the abundance of what you possess. We've already talked about that for a second. The second thing is, is this. All stuff is temporary. Say that with me. All stuff is temporary. All stuff is temporary. We, do, we, we get so consumed with getting more stuff. And it's all temporary. I've got a garage and a basement full of stuff in my mom and dad's house 
that seven years ago, I said to mom and dad, man, we've got to go through this stuff. We need to disperse it, need to use it. And, and my dad said, ah, I'm not ready to do that yet. I'm not ready to do that yet. Well, now, seven years later, my mom's gone. My mom has died. My dad's in an independent living facility, and all the stuff is just sitting in the house. All stuff is temporary. Third thing, the only thing that matters, the only thing that matters is being rich towards God. The epitome of foolishness is to be rich in things for yourself and not rich towards the things of God. What's it look like to be rich towards God? What's, what's, you know, what's that look like for us? It's that our heart gets energized, that our heart beats faster about the things of God rather than the stuff of life. It's when we see God working to change somebody's life, when we see somebody making a decision to follow Jesus, when we see somebody um, act in kindness that mirrors the heart of God, that energizes us more than a new phone or a new car or a new house or a national championship or whatever it is. Our heart towards the things of God means that our heart beats faster for things that make God's heart beat faster. What's it look like? It, it's, it, it looks like whatever stuff that you have, you're using it for the kingdom and not for yourself. There is no sin in having stuff, but the stuff is there to be used for God's purposes, not for our own. The idea that God created us to be hoarders is stupid. What's it look like to be rich towards God? It looks like investing your time and treasure, your talent, your relationships in kingdom stuff more than physical stuff. What, what's at stake for us this morning? What, what happens if we don't get this right? We live comfortable lives here on earth. And we die. And the comfort that we experience now doesn't mean anything eternally. That's what's at stake. God did not call us to lives of comfort. God did not call us to lives of security here on earth. God gives us the ability to live here so that we can, so that we can pursue his kingdom, so that we can be his hands and feet. What happens if we don't do anything? People suffer around the world, and we could change their suffering. People suffer here in Lansing, in DeWitt, in our worlds, and we could change their suffering. Why is the Ecuador church plant so important? Why is what the Burkitts are doing in Ukraine so important? Why is the work of the Shantiers with the Yembe tribe in Papua New Guinea so important? Why are our third serves so important? Because lives change as a result of that. People come to know Jesus and their eternal destiny is changed. Children, families, communities are transformed because of the gospel. It has the ability to, to bring hope into hopeless environments. We have the ability through the stuff that God has given us to deliver to alleviate suffering that's, that's stupid. 
that's senseless. For a few dollars, we can provide vaccinations for kids that will, that will die from diseases that they're not vaccinated for. For a few dollars, we can dig wells and provide clean water for villages that don't have it and that die, people die there because they're drinking contaminated water. For a few dollars, we can provide mosquito nets that prevent malaria. For a few dollars, we can provide shoes that, that, that stop parasites from coming in the, the feet of children. We can provide antibiotics that stop infections that, that people will die from if they're left untreated. <clears throat> We're going to be held accountable by God for how we handle our stuff. Do you get that? We're going to be held accountable. Only you can answer what that looks like for you. Just make sure, just make sure that as you handle your stuff, that you listen to the Holy Spirit and that you don't base your opinion based on the rest of culture around and what's, success, and what, what's acceptable. Most every Sunday we close the service with a song, and the song kind of ties into the message, and it gives us the chance to, to, to kind of plant a, our, a flag in the sand and seal that up. Today, here's what we're going to do. We're going to take up a, a second offering. The offering that we're going to take up is for benevolence needs that are here at North Point, here in New Michigan. This, this offering goes to be able to help take care of people who maybe their job and can't pay their bills, people uh, who get sick and aren't able to do the things that they need to, um, people who have needs that you may never, ever know about. When we sing this morning, I want to invite you to come up and just place a, a, a monetary gift in one of the baskets over the front and let that be an expression of worship for you. I know lots of people don't carry cash or checkbooks or any of that at all. During the song, take out your phone, go to the North Point website, and, there, and there's a tab there that says Give Online. You can scroll down through that, and there's a, you can mark when you do that, benevolence offering. I, I invite you and encourage you to do that. The benevolence offering allows us to be the hands and feet of Jesus in an incredibly cool way and to respond to this parable Jesus tells. But let me say one last thing. Giving today, giving as a part of this benevolence offering, that's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. When somebody in your life group or somebody on your street has a need, you know, they've got a flat tire or... or their, their car falls apart. And you know about it, God has probably equipped you to help meet that need. Don't think, oh, I gave in the benevolence offering or I'm going to tell them to go call the church because the church will take care of that. Don't miss that opportunity. God has placed you there to help, to be able to help, to help take care of that. When you go to Meyer this afternoon and you see the the lady who's putting stuff back because she doesn't have enough money to buy diapers and formula and food for her kids. Don't think, oh, I need to tell her about North Point, the benevolence offering. Buy her stuff for her. Because there's going to come a time that we stand before Jesus and he will say, 
I was hungry and you didn't feed me and you had so much stuff. The heart of the parable that Jesus told is to recognize that it's not for us. It's to be used for God's kingdom, for his glory. Do it now. Do it daily. Live it out. Let's stand together. Let's sing. Let me pray first. No, I'm going to pray afterwards. All right? Let's sing.